Hello, welcome to the FMLM podcast. My name is Angus Waits. I'm the Head of Engagement and Innovation at the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management. And I'm really pleased to introduce this podcast, which features a discussion between Peter Lees and Peter Homer. Peter Lees, as I'm sure you'll know, is the Chief Executive of FMLM, and he'll be discussing with Peter Homo what lessons we can learn from his long career working in leadership positions within the UK healthcare system. Peter Homo is the current Director General of Defence Medical Services, which organise all medical, dental and nursing services within the British Armed Forces. This podcast was recorded in May 2020 and, as I'm sure you would have guessed, was recorded remotely. So just bear with us with any small issues you might find with the sound. So you'll hear more from me at the end of this podcast. But for now, it's over to you, Peter Lees. Thank you very much. And, and, and Peter Homer, thank you so much for your time uh, on this podcast. I'm delighted to be doing this interview on at least two levels. Firstly, uh, the Armed Forces has played a significant role in FMLM since uh, we started the organisation back in 2011. Indeed, Air Marshal Paul Evans sat on council during his tenure as Surgeon General and, and of course, we're delighted he's now the Medical Director of FMLM and that a very strong relationship continues with uh, the Armed Forces. Peter, of course... You and I go back a very long way. Uh, I suspect further than either of us cares to remember, so I didn't add up the years uh, when I was thinking about this earlier on. But I've always appreciated your wisdom um, and also seen you as a very strong advocate for medical leadership. And it's, uh, it's that wisdom that I, I guess we want to tap into today in these remarkable times. You have a... Uh, obviously a vast experience of leadership and management within the NHS and now uh, within the armed forces. Could you just give us a brief thumbnail sketch of that? Yes, thank you. And very good to join you, um, uh, Peter. And if I could reinforce the very strong bond uh, between the Defence Medical Services and FMLM, uh, and it's one that um, I would like uh, to see grow in strength. Um, In terms of my background, um, briefly, uh, originally, um, I was a, an economics graduate at Sussex University during the, uh, uh, the mid to late 1970s, where we occupied everything apart from the lecture theatres, uh, time of student <laughs> remote. Uh, I then, um, after graduation, uh, I, I embarked upon the most useful training I could ever imagine um, to become a, um, um, an NHS Trust Chief Executive. I, for several months, I was a general in an operating department porter. St. James's Hospital, um, Ballam, South London. And I learned a huge amount about the, uh, the many contributions that um, uh, combined to, uh, to provide uh, high quality care for, for patients and looking after loved ones and, of course, caring for staff. And then with my then girlfriend, um, who became my, uh, my first wife, um, uh, we embarked on a nine month um, poor man's grand tour, poor couple's grand tour around Asia. And it's fair to say I grew up during that time uh, visiting uh, Nepal, Bangladesh, uh, uh, some remarkable locations uh, with some deeply, uh, deeply traveling, uh, troubling uh, poverty. Uh, I then returned to the UK, was self-employed um, as a picture framer, painter and decorator and non-HGV agency driver for two and a half years, essentially to enable me to do some rock climbing, which was my um, uh, passion at the time. And then um, after that period of time, I realised I could afford a, um, a, a girlfriend, a car and a stereo, but not all three. Uh, 
um, and then um, applied for a number of graduate management training teams, was absolutely delighted to get on to the National Administrative Training Scheme for the NHS, which is now the General Management Training Scheme. I had the privilege of a range of different um, jobs across the uh, the NHS at, uh, at local and um, uh, national level. Uh, I had the privilege of serving as a chief exec in five different organisations, um, accumulated something in the order of nearly 30 years chief exec um, experience uh, as part of a, 40, a nearly 40 year career in, in healthcare management. Um, in um, uh, 2006, I joined Nottingham University Hospitals as the uh, uh, chief exec to help merge Queen's Medical Centre and Nottingham City Hospital and uh, uh, left in 2017 um, uh, to become the chair of the NHS Leadership Academy uh, and then in um, August um, uh, 2019 had the privilege of joining Defence Medical Services as the Director General, in effect the chief executive uh, of um, the, um, uh, the Defence Medical Services which as you uh, describe um, is responsible for the provision of um, occupational health and healthcare uh, across the globe for all of the um, um, UK's um, serving personnel and their families uh, and I'm delighted to join you um, uh, and to contribute to the podcast series thank you thank you Peter that I mean that makes you uniquely qualified to to pick up my next question which is related obviously to the fact you've had all that extensive ex experience life experience but also a, a huge amount of experience in the NHS and I know you've paraphrased that quite significantly because there were many other significant roles that you you held within the NHS but now as you've moved to being the head of uh, the Defence Medical Services it'd be really interesting to hear your initial observations of leadership in the Defence Medical Services compared with your experiences within the NHS. Yeah delighted um, I think the base note uh, Peter is when comparing the NHS and Defence Medical Services, there are far more similarities than there are differences. The similarities uh, include uh, absolutely dedicated um, uh, people, whatever they're calling, um, uh, whether they're a, a clinician or, um, uh, or someone in support of, um, of clinical colleagues, absolutely dedicated um, people. Um, um, both um, are large complex um, organizations with all of the resident uh, opportunities and challenges that, uh, um, that such organizations present both operate in the public eye and uh, that's no more um, true than uh, during this uh, national challenge of uh, COVID-19 uh, and um, there's a huge desire on behalf of everyone um, within the both services to continuously improve um, the uh, the service that are provided, often bumping up against um, some constraints, sometimes money, sometimes convention. Uh, and also a very strong bond between the two is that of empowerment, a desire to make sure that those closest to the delivery of patient care have the greatest opportunity to influence uh, what and how we do um, uh, the work that we do. And the final similarity that occurs to me is that of values, the importance of, um, of understanding the values that bring colleagues into uh, their respective calling, whatever it is, uh, and to make sure that um, the organisation that has the privilege of, uh, of those individuals um, uh, within their uh, their employ, respecting and um, building upon an, an environment that will uh, value the uh, the values and, uh, and 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 commitments that individuals bring. In terms of differences, there's clearly uh, the. Uh, um, the, the, the two cadres of military and civilians um, uh, who work very closely together, but it's a very different uh, set of arrangements um, compared to um, the NHS. 
Um, the other aspect which is um, particularly striking in the military is the relatively short lengths of stay of, um, um, of, of personnel within the military um, uh, in um, their particular assignments and sometimes that can be as little as two years, rarely is it more, is it longer than three years and that can lead to discontinuity um, and um, there are approaches we need to adopt to make sure that's particularly involving large-scale change but we don't find a discontinuous program of, um, of work we need to make sure that we um, we have a continuous um, um, determination to improve um, the uh, the service that we provide clearly within the defense medical services we operate uh, globally um, uh, sometimes in very remote very isolated um, uh, settings uh, the other aspect which is particularly strongly featured in the military and less so in the NHS is deference to grade and rank um, where individuals will be described as uh, their rank uh, rather than um, their role um, and uh, that, that um, took me some adjustment um, and the other couple of uh, differences um, in the military uh, is firstly the clarity of uh, written work uh, is absolutely superb in the military and I confess very often personally being responsible for business cases that one measured by kilo rather than, um, and than page number. Uh, and whereas in the military, um, our colleagues uh, are very skillful at conveying a wealth of information in a very, very pithy form uh, in, an, in a common framework that is well understood. Uh, and uh, there's a lot for colleagues in the NHS to learn from, uh, from that. And the other aspect I would um, observe uh, respectfully is in the military meetings start on time, as opposed to the ragged start, which um, very often I contributed to in the NHS, where individuals um, sometimes uh, achieve uh, a just in time arrival at meetings or just too late. Whereas in the military, when a meeting starts at uh, nine o'clock in the morning, it jolly well starts then. And those would be my initial reflections, um, Peter. Well, thank you very much. And gosh, there's a lot of uh, information there. I think it was also very helpful in, in debunking a myth I've heard so many times, that a very simplistic view of life and, and leadership in the military has been simply about shouting at people. My experience is it is infinitely more sophisticated than that. Um, so thank you very much for that. Um, I wanted to change tack a little bit. Um, I mean, one of the things that's cropping up a lot at the moment, both from, I think we're hearing a bit, a bit in the news about this, but especially from colleagues in the NHS, at the speed that changes have been able to be made at the moment uh, because of the crisis compared to some of the normal ways of working. And you've alluded to some of those in your, in your last uh, comments. Um, how does the military tackle issues in response to identifying the needs in a, in a conflict or a humanitarian uh, situation? Yes, thank you. And I, I've learned a huge amount um, already uh, from, um, from colleagues within, within Defence Medical Services and indeed the wider Ministry, Ministry of Defence on precisely this. And if I can just make a couple of introductory comments and then um, address your question uh, um, full on. Um, it is, um, it, it is the, the environment that we're in with the COVID-19 challenge, which is very similar to, um, to similar uh, epidemics, be it Ebola, um, SARS, um, and indeed uh, conflict, uh, where there is a singular purpose which unites the organisation and frankly cuts out some of the guff, the entropy that gets in the way of fast decision-making uh, and fast progress. And, and uh, across uh, Defence Medical Services and I think across the wider uh, MOD, 
there's a real appetite and desire from all of us to make sure that we understand what is it that we are able to do during times of conflict in this case confronting COVID-19 that enables us as a single force to make accelerated progress that we can hardwire into the way in which we work in the future as opposed to snapping back to the uh, uh, status quo um, ante uh, and uh, so that, that's a very important um, a mindset uh, and examples being and I know colleagues within the NHS have got some superb examples um, alongside the one from the Defence Medical Services. Uh, within Defence Medical Services, we introduced e-consulting and video consulting within a handful of weeks from across the world um, compared to what we anticipated would be um, a programme of implementation that would take um, over a year. And I know NHS colleagues have done something very similar. There's a huge amount from us to learn um, there. And uh, I've learned already from colleagues um, within uh, the military that uh, conflict, adversity, war, um, sadly, when it takes place, creates an environment within which innovation at accelerated pace um, is, is uh, achieved and necessary. Many examples um, uh, from Camp Bastion, uh, which have transferred from the military into routine NHS um, care, which you'll be familiar with as a, as a surgeon, um, uh, Peter. With COVID-19, the emphasis is uh, particularly on, uh, on, on medical advances. And there are many examples of that. And the mindset that military colleagues um, enter in is, of course, uh, do no harm, but to look for um, um, areas in which we could accelerate um, improvement. Uh, and um, the, uh, the, the military have a range of planning tools um, to enable a structured approach to developing um, um, uh, a deep understanding about what can be done to improve um, patient care and then rapidly applying those obviously making sure that all the necessary tests in terms of patient safety are, are observed. And what we have found across um, Defence Medical Services with some tremendous innovation from uh, the Army, the Navy and the Air Force, and indeed other colleagues that support all three, is a way of um, quickly synthesising um, the many good suggestions and ideas, bringing in global expertise um, to critique those, to prioritise those and then to implement them. Um, and uh, um, Rich Withnell, um, a very senior colleague within the Defence Medical Services, uh, has helped with others articulate how we go about that in a way that has translated into far better care um, and to, uh, to those we serve. Thank you. Thank you very much. Of course, Rich is uh, a uh, Defence Medical Services representative now on the uh, Council, so I'm delighted to hear that. Uh, thank you, Peter. That's that's brilliant. Um, you won't be surprised that uh, resilience uh, is a topic that uh, I wanted to uh, get your views and advice on. And I've been very encouraged in recent weeks by a clear focus in the NHS to recognise the need for I, I don't know if psychological support's the right word, but but support to uh, colleagues in the NHS through this really, really difficult time. And uh, I'd like to think FMLM's playing its part in that with a, a very simple initiative we've called Safe Space Conversations. Um, but uh, it would be really, uh, really good to hear from you because I mean, the military must be absolute experts in this and, and any lessons that we have to learn from the military again in, uh, in conflict. But also, I think we, we've, we forget a lot that we see the military as, as all about conflict. But I mean, you've already alluded to Ebola and so forth, but the military plays a huge and very modest role uh, uh, 
um, in terms of the, the publicity it gets in humanitarian operations. So I just wondered if you could give a few reflections on, on resilience. Yes, thank you. And again, I've learned a huge amount from colleagues in the military um, on this. And, and as you say, there's a, there's a strong tradition um, built on, uh, on uh, adversity in, uh, in, in previous conflicts uh, within the military to uh, better understand how we support um, those um, um, within the, uh, the service um, uh, in terms of um, uh, resilience, personal as well as organisational resilience. And the, the work of uh, Michael West, Amy Edmondson, in, in articulating um, psychological safety uh, and the ability for individuals to feel safe to, 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 to talk out, uh, to, to speak truth to power, uh, is something that um, is, uh, is, is evident in many areas within the military. And there's some very strong um, examples uh, of, of a programmatic approach, for example, not only to... Um, rolling out uh, particular tools and techniques, mindfulness being amongst them, um, and a range of um, other um, techniques to help encourage um, personal awareness in terms of mental health and well-being, uh, but also uh, supported through a program of empowerment. Um, and um, that's an area within Defence Medical Services that uh, we are going to, uh, um, to, 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 to place particular emphasis um, on over the next um, several years. And the, the very strong um, ethos of teamwork um, is, is abundantly clear in the military, as indeed I know it is within the NHS, where individuals will look out for each other. Uh, and that um, uh, I think we've become increasingly uh, skillful uh, as uh, individual members of teams to ensure that we're looking out for the well-being of other colleagues as well as, uh, as oneself. And that's a very helpful um, um, approach. Uh, there are a range of uh, other aspects um, uh, that I know are very well practiced within um, um, the NHS as well as some areas within the military. And that's, for example, Schwartz rounds, which provide a safe opportunity for a team to, to decompress after perhaps a particularly challenging uh, um, episode of care for a patient or, um, or, or, or another aspect of the care that's um, a provision. So I think over time, what we've seen within the military is growing expertise uh, a growing explicit recognition um, that um, the mental health and well-being is as important um, and necessary um, facet as physical um, health and well-being. And that um, uh, combines to make sure that um, we are increasing resilience um, um, for uh, those within defence medical services that we serve. And there's always more to be done. Always more to be done. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. Very true. Thank you for that. Um, the, the, the last thing I wanted to touch on with you is that we've all seen the, the pictures on the news around, you know, for example, the Nightingale Hospital with the, the military involvement. And again, very humbly in the background, not making a song and dance about it, but obviously have playing a fantastic role. And, and we hear about MACA, you see I'm now into the jargon, but the, the military aid to civilian authorities. Now, I wonder if you could just give us a, a few insights into the sorts of collaborations that have, have occurred uh, throughout the, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, and particularly around the delivery of healthcare, because I sense we all really value that partnership. Yes, thank you. Uh, um, and uh, within Defence Medical Services, and I'm sure across um, the wider Ministry of Defence, uh, we are very pleased to provide as much support as we possibly can um, through, as you described, Peter, military aid to civil, civilian authorities, so-called MACA activities. 
and we have literally um, thousands of, um, of our personnel supporting the NHS in a variety of ways. Of course, we have many hundreds of our personnel actually embedded within NHS um, organisations, um, contributing frontline clinicians, uh, doctors, nurses, scientists, physiotherapists and, uh, and others, and making a material um, uh, difference um, for NHS direct um, care. Uh, and also within um, the, the broader uh, effort and the, the posture, as you rightly described, Peter, that, um, that we and the wider MOD wish to, um, um, to adopt is that of, of, of humbly supporting the NHS. Because uh, clearly our NHS colleagues um, um, are taking the, uh, the, the, the principal heavy load and our role is to help and support in, every way, in whatever way that we can. And, and there are many, um, including um, the very, very impressive command, control and logistics expertise that the military have, which um, as a civilian um, is awesome. The ability to help support and design creation of the Nightingale hospitals literally over a handful of days uh, from a conference centre into a viable unit capable of accommodating thousands of patients is absolutely extraordinary and that is substantially um, um, based on expertise in terms of uh, logistics that the military has been very pleased to help support. Um, the provision of ventilators, infection prevention and control, um, health informatics and um, critical care patient transfers, including across uh, London, um, are areas in which we've been very pleased to uh, provide support. And of course, um, area medical evacuations of, um, of UK personnel from around the world. And very, very importantly, um, the, the rapid assimilation of research and clinical innovation, um, as I mentioned briefly in one of my earlier comments, where um, uh, we have uh, made sure that we expose ideas and suggestions for improvement to uh, world-class um, uh, critical um, examination and then rapidly translate those that uh, satisfy the necessary tests into ways in which um, improve the quality of uh, what we can do for those we serve in the NHS and more broadly across the, uh, um, the um, Defence Medical Services activity, which of course, as I mentioned, is a service across the world wherever we have serving uh, personnel so it's a very strong bond between the military and um, civilian activities we're delighted to uh, to have reservists um, join our number and if i could use this opportunity to encourage anyone who might be interested to ex ex to explore the possibility of joining um, as a reservist it's a fantastic fulfilling and rewarding and appropriately challenging program of, uh, of experiences and uh, and it's a very good way in which, um, in our case, Defence Medical Services and the wider MOD can help add additional value and benefits to those we serve. And that's the wider population of the UK. Thank you. Oh, thanks very much, Chris. I mean, that's that's been really inspiring. Um, and I guess, it, I mean, it, it was awesome to see the speed at which the Nightingale Hospital and all their uh, sister organisations across the, across the country have been established. Um, but also, I think it's, it's a point that I can perhaps make more easily than you. I think it's just incredible to hear all the other stuff that's going on in the background. And back to that point you made about humility, that we don't, you know, I, I sometimes feel that perhaps you don't get the credit uh, that, that you deserve. But I know that's a, a position that, uh, is, uh, that you hold very dear. And thank goodness that we can draw on that at these um, rather dramatic times. So unless you have any 
final comments, Peter, which of course uh, we'd be delighted to hear. I, I just uh, like to thank you very much indeed. I've learned a huge amount and I hope that we can continue the strong bond and grow the bond between uh, FMLM and, uh, and the armed forces. And I just think we've been so fortunate to get your unique perspectives on the whole of, the, uh, uh, of your time in the NHS, but also now uh, this critical role that you hold in the, in the armed forces. So uh, on behalf of FMLM, uh, thank you very much indeed. Peter, thank you. It's a great pleasure to contribute and I very much look forward to us further strengthening the bond between the FMLM and Defence Medical Services. With very best wishes to you all. Thank you. Well, thank you, Peter Homer. What a fascinating discussion that was. I know a lot of our members and fellows, both armed forces and not, will have really appreciated your insights. You both mentioned Ebola and Rich Widnell's name came up a few times. Rich Widnell wrote a really interesting article for FMLM a few weeks ago. It's called The Longer You Can Look Back, The Farther You Can Look Forward, in which he discusses the military's response to Ebola in light of the response we are all having to make to COVID-19. So I'd strongly encourage our listeners to check that article out. If you are interested in supporting FMLM and supporting your own leadership development, then do consider joining FMLM. You can find information about that at fmlm.ac.uk forward slash join. Now, we have really enjoyed this initial run of FMLM podcasts. We are taking a break next week, so do remember to subscribe to FMLM wherever you get your podcasts. We will be creating more of them over the coming weeks, and we'd love to hear your feedback on the previous three episodes and any ideas you have for future content. Perhaps you're a member or a fellow and you'd like to be involved in one of these podcasts. Do let us know. You can email me at angus.wait, that's W-A-I-T-E, at fmlm.ac.uk. So that's all for this week. Stay well and do look out for the next series of FMLM podcasts, which we'll be launching in a few weeks' time. Bye-bye.